Do, 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 do. Bang on. <laughs> She's done it again. What? I have to do Hang it. Hang on. I oh, know. For your head? Yeah. So you feel like you've started? It's like flick get... the switch. Yeah. You know how you've talked about when you um, get a bit of showbiz mm. when you're backstage and you sort of get Dr. ready? Dr. Showbiz. Dr. Showbiz. In. That's right. Yeah. I knew I've got it wrong. Dr. Yeah. Showbiz. Yeah. That's my Dr. Showbiz. Jingles are my Dr. Showbiz. That's good. Intros. Whatever gets you through. You, <laughs> you, you, you do you, Zan, right? on. How are you? How's your week been? It's been a good week. Like it's been a wild week, hasn't it? I don't think I've ever watched so much CNN Mm. in my life. And we have been talking a lot about the American political scene over the last few weeks because it is a really massive election. We're not going to bang on about it too much this week, but we do have to mention one of the best stories of the year, Four Seasons Total Landscaping. I'm sure by now everyone's heard of the story of Trump Basically booking the Four Seasons. Trump's team. Oh, he tweeted that he was having a press conference from the Four Seasons Mm. in Philadelphia. Uh, Differing reports, uh, someone made a mistake or the hotel said, no, we're not having him here. Anyway, so to save face, quote unquote, save face. (laughs) They went ahead. (laughs) uh, Clarified and said, no, it's the Four Seasons. Didn't even say no. It's just like, oh, just confirming. It's the Four Seasons total landscaping, which was, in case you missed it, a like in a sort of shithole part of Philly and wedged between an adult bookstore yes. and a crematorium. <laughs> you know what? I'm still amazed that there is such thing as an adult bookstore. Like, <laughs> doesn't everyone watch porn online? I was like, far out. I mean, I, I'm sure there's still magazines and books that that are uh, of a sexual content, but I didn't think you'd need a storefront for that anymore. I mean, speaking of old school, I'm wondering how they even, like, were they flipping through the white pages going Four Seasons, what else can we find? Four Seasons Florist, Four Seasons Total Landscaping, who's got a big enough space? Right, Total Landscaping it is. Four Seasons sounds good, no one will notice. And the best bit is, obviously, like, the team around Trump have just gone, oh, fuck, it's over, whatever. (laughs) And just, oh, well, we mucked up. Oh, well, let's just, just battle on through. Just push it doesn't Giuliani really out there to take care of it. We've all lost our jobs anyway, so <laughs> who cares? And I, I kind of love it. It's brilliant. The, Absolute um, bin fire. Yeah, the merch that they produced this week that you can buy for, you know, not a very high price of five bucks, I think. Mm. <laughs> That's American dollars, so yeah. it's a bit more for us, including postage. But um, well worth a mention. Make America Rake Again. Yes. Four Seasons Total Landscaping. And the other one, Lawn and Order, Four oh Seasons Total Landscaping. I love that. I Although love that they're capitalising. They, I, had, I had gardeners around to my house, though, that have already used the Lawn and Order, so there could be a fight on their hands for that <laughs> one. <laughs> four Seasons. Next part of this story is Four Seasons Total Landscaping gets sued by an Australian yeah. Jim's Gardening or whatever. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, very, very funny, very silly. Who knows what the hell 2021 will oh. hold, but 2020 going out with a bang with that story. It feels lighter though, doesn't it? Everything in the world feels a bit lighter this week. There was a massive sense of release and you saw it in the streets of certain cities in America where people were just – yeah, relieved that they wouldn't have to operate under this presidency anymore, live under this presidency, particularly marginalised people. I saw some raw things being said by people Mm. on the streets, even professional journalists on screen. Breaking uh, down. Basically breaking down and saying it's been the really tough 
four years, it's been worse than it ever has in my life of people feeling as though they were empowered to be racist to me, to be homophobic to me. And you just got a real sense that there was finally a, sense, a, a release that we're free of this. And obviously Joe Biden's not going to fix everything. It's a massively divided country, but just having that... That I think fall all, was yeah. such a huge relief. And I think all countries are divided at this point in time. There seems to be very much a sense of division in so many places across the world. But the problem is, I think, if when you have a leader who incites that division or, or encourages that division, whether it be subtly or overtly, I think that really feeds into a level of tension. And look, it exists here in Australia too. There's a level of tension mm. at the moment that... I, I, it feels new to me, but maybe I'm just getting older and the world, it feels a little bit darker. Um, I'm more educated about it. I'm not sure. Do you No, feel? I think that we're in a particularly tense um, and divisive point, more so than any time in my lifetime. Mm. It's hard to say when you're in it, you know, um, yeah. perspective is twenty twenty, but it just, it does feel like a, a, a pretty tough moment in time. Mm. It's all like, you know, Bang On is a podcast that we do and it's a conversation we have every week about music, art, life and stuff. But I think that all of this stuff plays into, all of those things are reflected by what's happening in the political world, what's happening yeah. in the quote unquote real world. Well, uh, popular culture these days feeds and contemporary culture feeds so much more into political discourse now. Yeah. So in a way, what we started doing three or four years ago, has now become more and more relevant as we find that the things we discuss are reflecting how society's changing. And so. these are the places that people feel empowered to speak out mm. because they don't get into those positions of power which are very, still largely conservative um, and still have a lot of barriers, which leads us perfectly into this week's Four Corners, mm -hmm. which was about the Canberra bubble and brought up the issue again of women feeling very disempowered by politics, specifically within the Liberal Party, that was the focus, and explored this kind of what goes on tour stays on tour mentality mm. of of Canberra. I'm focusing on a couple of politicians. And we won't go too much into the episode, I don't think, because there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. But what, you know, what some corners focused on you saw in the in the days that followed was whether or not politicians' private lives should be newsworthy. And many ignored the issue that I, and I know I'm not alone as a woman saw, which is this, you know, this power structure of a male MP um, and a female staffer is from the get-go inherently off balance. And when things go belly up, it's almost always the woman who loses out, you know, loses her job, mm. sometimes even loses her career, leaves politics altogether. Yeah. And so having these conversations around whether or not men's um, private life should be on show, it's like, are you kind of missing the point? And then there was this press conference the next day um, with Scott Morrison and Anne Rustin, who's the social services minister, yep. who was directly... A senior minister, a senior minister. Liberal Party frontbencher. Mm -hmm. She was asked a question directly mm. by a journo, Phil Khoury, I think it was. Yep. And here's what happened. As a woman in the government, uh, your reflections on, on the culture inside, has it got better, worse or no change since the, the bonk ban era? Well, Phil, the only thing that I can... How this ban is referred to, I think, is quite dismissive of the seriousness of the issue, Phil. Um, and I would ask media to stop referring to it in that way. We took it very seriously. And I think constantly referring to it in that way dismisses the seriousness of this issue. It's a very serious issue. Thanks, Anne. 
too. Yeah. What are your impressions on the culture? Well, well, Phil, I mean, obviously I can only reflect on my own experience since I've been in this place, since 2012, and, and I have to say that I have always felt wholly supported while I've been here. Uh, and I'd particularly note that, you know, since becoming a member of the Cabinet and a member of the ERC, there is nobody who's provided me more support and shown greater respect towards me as an individual than the Prime Minister. Oh, boy. We've all been there, haven't we? As, as soon as I saw that, I was like, every woman has had an experience like that. We're all just yeah, like, oh, like no. The question was essentially, is the culture for women in Parliament, is it, is it getting better, essentially? And you could just see on Anne Ruston's face, it's the face that we've all pulled a million times going, oh, okay, you're, you're stepping in and I'll just grit my teeth and I'll smile through it. And, yeah, it, 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 it's an all-too-common occurrence, sadly, and yeah. I, they don't even realise they do it, they're doing it. And I think Scott Morrison had the best of intentions. He was trying to say that, you know, calling it a bog ban, you know, reduces the severity of, of what is going on, which is about power imbalances between um, parliamentarians and their staff and within relationships as well. So, you know, I think he thought he was doing a good thing, but what he didn't realise is he actually just shoved his way in there before she even got a chance to speak for herself. And this speaks hugely too because we've all had those experiences. I know that, you know, I've been in rooms with men who literally just start talking louder than me, mm. just talk over me, and to which I just step back and go... In my head, are you fucking serious? And yeah. this is a joke, and I'm not even I'm not gonna play this game. Yeah. But ultimately they just dominate. And it speaks to a, I'm in a sideline you because what I have to say is more important than what you have to say, um, and I'm gonna win at this. And whether it's conscious or subconscious, I think doesn't matter. It speaks to the same systemic problems and the same yep. In turn, like the the way that people, if if it is subconscious, then that's what a lot of politicians, a lot of male politicians, are thinking. And mm. so, how do you change that behaviour? It goes a lot deeper. Yeah. And yeah, every woman I know would have let out a sigh oh. of, oh, <laughs> no, not don't. No. And in front of oh. everyone, do you realise? No, no, it was a real moment. It was a moment. Um, Parliament. It's been a real time, hasn't yeah, it, this it, life? It's yeah, been a real time. It has. And there's a great junkie article that you pointed me to that's got all these examples of when that's happened similarly in Parliament. And it's pretty amazing footage when you see it happening. You've got um, that classic photo that you, you might have seen. It, it became quite famous a little while back, Tanya Plibersek, discussing um, it was during a debate for higher education and the Prime Minister was his, had his back turned just checking his mobile phone, clearly just couldn't give us stuff about yep. listening. And I'm not saying it's only Scott Morrison that does this. It's many people, probably on both sides. Uh, if we shone the light on any of the political parties, this behaviour has existed for eons and it will continue to exist until they're pulled up on it. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's quite distressing that they think they're better than what they are as well. It's that level of ignorance. It speaks of a massive disrespect too, doesn't it? Yeah. Whether they're, they think that they're doing that or not, it's mm. ultimately disrespect. It's mm. what I have to say is more important than what you have to say right yeah. now. Yeah. Even when someone is directly saying, I want to know what you want, you have to say, mm. no, no. Yeah. I'm going to pipe up. Yeah. Very boring. Very boring. Very I'm boring. trying to sort it out. Parliament is miles behind in this business uh, from the business world and from various other worlds. I'm talking work worlds, but still, it's it's not great across the board. But Parliament is particularly behind, I think, and it, and it speaks a lot to the just the the 
general bad behaviour that you see in question time. Yeah. Absolutely freaking appalling. Yeah. And none of that would be tolerated in any other professional workspace. It's time for it to go, I think. Dan, I'm wondering, do you know about Mary Wollstonecroft? Is that a name familiar to you? Not until you sent me this Mm. piece in The Guardian. English writer, philosopher and one of the earliest, it seems, advocates for women's rights. Um, She's considered one of the founding feminists. Um, She's a UK woman, was a UK woman uh, in the 18th century, I think. So we're talking like 200 years ago. 200 years ago. She wrote a work called A Vindication of the Rights of Women in 1792 and she argued that women are not naturally inferior to men, which they were suspected to be or actually believed to be, um, given the patriarchal structure that existed then and exists now, um, but only appear to be because they lack education. And that was her premise, which, of course, blew the lid off on all of it. Of course, when you're not educated, you can't engage Mm. on a level with others. And, of course, when you're not educated, you can't break through a ceiling that's already been set financially, um, socially, all of those things. Uh, and and so this is a pivotal work in terms of feminism and she's finally been recognised in her hometown in London, Newington Green, lovely Newington Green, with a statue. And uh, it's a really interesting time in the world for statues. A lot of them are being torn down. So this, yeah. is, this is a significant honouring of a woman who really changed the course of history Problem is, the statue, well, it's a little bit odd. It's a little bit little. It's been made by an artist, Maggie Hamblin, who is a woman. Yeah. Um, it's lovely, but is it the right thing to do when there are so few opportunities to represent women of history in statue form? Uh, let, let's talk about the image. You've had a look at it too. Yep. It's small. Yep. It starts with a tiny nude at the top. It's in silver. Yep. Tiny nude at the top. She's nude. She's she's very standard, uh, almost perfect body in the Greek mythological sense and the Greek artistic sense of the term like she's she's perfect yeah pert boobs um a, a large smattering of pubic hair which I, i'd say is <laughs> is referencing the the, is the 1790s yeah. era I, i'm sure trimming wasn't a thing back then not or a brazilian not interested i would say it's distractingly large yeah it is distractingly large <laughs> and then it kind of falls into this sort of bodies women's bodies sort of soft form underneath as it as it falls down it's like a it describes it as organic matter it's kind of just like this it's like she's rising out of some sort of plume mm. of, of something I was trying I was trying to figure out do I how do I feel about this like this is representing a woman who has done a lot for feminism mm. so here she is in the female form but would a male thinker or writer or activist be captured nude with his doodle out? Like, <laughs> never, <laughs> never. Okay, so let's strip back. You know, does it does it does it go the same both both ways? And then you think about the male, and in this case, the female gaze. Like, as we look at that, as we're distracted by her pubic hair, as we're looking at her pert breasts, are we thinking about other statues? And there was a couple of statues that are mentioned in this piece of other um, incredible feminist icons mm. who were there holding placards with, you know, 
the clothing that they were wearing at the time, which I guess signifies more the time that they were making up the history of feminism yeah. dating further back than maybe we thought it, it did. Um, and that's all stripped from this. It's all the gaze is very much on this this body and a very, like you say, a small body. Again, while I was reading that, I was just thinking about, I suddenly was remembered about your incredible history of art history and what it all means because this is not a new thing to yeah. idealise the female form. Objectify the female objectify form. Objectify the female form. And it's happened, it ha- happens obviously to this day as we see with this. Like how do you, well, how do you feel about this? Well, like you said, um, statues of men naked moved on from yeah. the Greeks and the Roman era. They moved on from that to being clothed, to being war heroes, to be holding their sticks or arrows or whatever it is and riding their horses. and Having all. a sense of agency. Yeah, all very powerful imagery and yet it seems women are still within the visual art world. The female form is considered the norm um, and that female form necessarily hasn't been one that's developed or moved forward. Um, and that sort of symbol of femininity really represents still historically um, women being contained or, um, as as the author said here, subjugated. Mm. Um, it's a really it's, – it's really sad that we haven't really moved on from that. But then women didn't ride horses through war into battle with guns. So it's almost like people are left going, what the hell do we do with them? Um, I don't think there's really anything to, that you need to do other than portray them in the same way. Was she writing her book in the nude is my follow-up question. Yeah, exactly. Like, why, why should being portrayed this and way? I'm all about female empowerment and, you, and, and celebrating our bodies and all of that and being comfortable with your bodies. But why also are powerful women expected to then, like how many times are women when they do like a, a, a Rolling Stone cover or something, they have to have half their gear off? Yeah. And it's because there's a real still undressing of female power mm. and I hate it. Look, you just display your body for in any way, shape or form you like but that idea of how do we display women when it's not themselves and they are powerful, strip them back and, mm. you know, it's uh, uh, it's so boring. And the other thing is, did you know in Australia there's only 5% of statues that are either women or Indigenous folk, 5%, 95% are men. The same goes in the UK. So when you get an opportunity like this, I'm sure it was all done with the best of intentions and I'm sure the artist is absolutely mortified that this has happened, that her very singular view of what a female representation should be through probably her own art history studies without thinking further about it, has has become kind of almost a bit of a laughing stock. It must be awful for her. She wouldn't have meant it, I'm sure. But there's plenty of people on a committee who could have stepped up and said, mm, maybe not. Devil's advocate and total cynic in me mm. does the fact that she made what has become a controversial statue draw attention to who Mary Wollstonecroft was? Yes, absolutely. Was there a plan in this? Maybe. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. I'm getting into the Matrix now. (laughs) Um, You and Donald Trump, you can all hang out together. (laughs) You and Pete Evans. Wouldn't that be a great way to explain sexism? Oh, it's just a plan. Yeah. It's all, everyone's in on it. Everyone's in on it. That's right. We all all had a meeting. We We all had a meeting. (laughs) 
I think you're right. I'll go with what you're saying. No, no, I like that idea. But you're right. It actually has created a whole lot more controversy than anyone would have expected had it just been probably a representation. So swings and roundabouts. Mary Wollstonecroft, look her up. It's NADOC Weeks, Anne, and something you've alerted me to is that Australia Post are now offering the option to write uh, the Indigenous titles of where you come from as addresses. I love that. This is so good and this is following on from a campaign that's been running for a few months by Gomero woman Rachel McPhail who basically wanted Australia Post to accept traditional names on the post. And this week during NAIDOC week Australia Post has formally backed it. So this is, you know, if it was my address it would be Zanro on Wurundjeri country and then my address. That's the kind of idea of how you would fill it out. So Wurundjeri country represents Melbourne. Yeah. Okay, or the area of. You wouldn't have to go more specific to your particular suburb. You could if you wanted to. Okay. But I think the idea is it's like name, the land you're on, you know, the people's country that you're on and then your address as it's represented in, you know, European slash Australian style as it's been for the last 200 years. And I think this is really powerful, you know, in, in many ways. It's one thing, and some people might say it's symbolic, but the theme for this year's NADOC is always was, always mm. will be. And I've been having a lot of conversations, particularly this week, but also this year about this reminder of, you know, we're on Aboriginal land. We came here, we weren't invited, and sovereignty was never ceded. So mm. we're guests on this land, mm. and I think that we often forget that. And when you see these representations in the most banal bureaucratic of ways, literally mm. on a package. It means or a, something though. It means something. because Almost parcel, the most banal bureaucratic things are actually showing that the walls are tumbling down a little bit. But think about all the people whose hands that goes through. So it goes to the post office and then it goes to the post postal workers, you know, the mm. um, postie's hands to then put it in someone's mail, mailbox and then the person on the other end has it and any other place that it passes in between. And everybody on that Root is seeing the name of country that they might not know yet. And for me, I know a, a lot of the capital cities, like I know the uh, and, and sort of large areas where a lot of artists come from um, and particularly Indigenous artists who I've, I've spoken to or worked with over the years during radio you yep. know, interviews and stuff like that. So the Wiradjuri and the Wurundjeri and the Gadigal uh, people. But this week I've been including when I'm back and out songs on Double J where – any Australian artist is from and I'm learning a whole bunch of place names and again every time I do that I'm reminded that we're on Aboriginal land we're on the lands of people who have been taking care of this place for 65,000 years Mm. and kind of inspired a lot by um because I'm old now I watch Gardening Australia every Friday and (laughs) I freaking love that nothing wrong with that and Gardening Australia have for quite a while now been putting as their little supers which are the little bits of text they have over the screen is here's a segment and it's you know, um, whatever the host is or the presenter is on whatever land in Australia. And that's just such an easy, subtle and simple way to educate. Yeah. To remind people that we're on Aboriginal land and to educate us in a history that you and I weren't educated through in high school. Yeah. You know, we didn't learn about um, our Indigenous history as much as we did European history mm. or even a very short Australian history um the colonial history so i really i really lifted my spirits to see that australia post were giving that the cosign 
Um, and it's been a great reminder uh, of the Aboriginal land that we live on every single day. Yeah. Something that I hope continues. All of these ideas and and thinking um, from from white Australia and non Indigenous Australia about remembering, you know, where we are yeah. and where we continue to live. Uh, look, there's been a real theme this week though, dealing with that kind of history and that ignored history mm. and trying to change the national anthem has been another one that's mm. come up this week. Australians all let us rejoice for it's our, the original line, for we are young and free, for, and they're going to change the words to for we are one and free. And so many people are up in arms about this and I'm thinking it's a real theme across the world at the moment. What is everyone afraid of? It's ideology. Learning, learning some new things because that's essentially it. There's no power imbalance through acknowledgement. There's no there's no changing of any kind of thing that you're trying to protect. It's just it's it's a sign of generosity, yeah. if anything. And it's it's a beautiful thing and it really infuriates me that people aren't open to change in that sense. And I remember when the Australian national anthem was Australian sons let us rejoice and the when that had to be changed. Like how about everybody just get over themselves? Just catch up. Catch up. Just yep. make a change. Learn some new things. Work hard to relearn something. It's not it's it's not that hard. Like that's what infuriates me is just that reticence to learn or reticence to adapt change that's not difficult. A lot and of that is it's already, res- and it's respectful change. A lot of that is already happening. My partner's a school teacher and at their school, which is a traditional Catholic school, they sing for we are one and free. Great. There's, so there's plenty of places who have already gone ahead. And again, you have a government minister in this case, it was the New South Wales Premier saying it on record yep. and people have this kind of um, feigned outrage when it really is just something that they're stating that everybody else has started to move on yeah. with anyway. Yeah, it's it's catch up footy, everyone. Come on, (laughs) just do it. Just do it. Catch up footy. (laughs) Just do it and stop whinging. The level of whinging over change is just doing my nothing at the moment. (laughs) I feel like this has been a real (laughs) pipe down and pull your socks up episode of Bang On. Auntie Zan and Auntie Miff (laughs) are wagging our fingers. Tell you some things. Um, Zan, what are you banging on about this week? I'm banging on about a great Instagram account that was started during lockdown by Wiradjuri and Walwan woman Teela Reid and Gumbanye and Barkindji woman Melinda Dutton. They're two lawyers, they're avid readers, and they started this Instagram handle called Blackfella Book Club. Ah, so basically, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, it's awesome. And they recommend heaps of great books, but also short reads, long reads. It's basically a space to get another perspective or broaden your own perspective and really continue the tradition of storytelling in a social media platform. Yeah. And it's so good because we've been talking about, you know, mentioning um, this year a lot of books that we've been seeking out to broaden our own perspectives, mm. step into someone else's shoes. But this is a bloody gold mine. Like there's so, and it's obviously focused on um, the Black Australian experience, but very much Black feminism as well. And um, again, I guess following on from what we were just talking about with Australia Post and just the general usage of Aboriginal place names in you know day to day everyday conversation. Teela, um, one of the co-founders, said that, you know, if every – she said in this interview she did recently that if every Australian sat down and connected with a Dreamtime story, not just as a side note but something deep within their centre, 
They'd understand these are powerful stories that connect them on a deeper level to this ancient land and to a bigger sense of kinship. And again, I've been reminded, particularly this week, because NAIDOC has been putting to the front of all of our feeds our history, you know, the culture that lived here long before us and that we live with today, understanding and being proud of that, mm. um, but also having it as a part of the fabric of our of our lives and not this kind of othering or outside mm. part of our history as a kind of it's a special thing, much like NAIDOC Week is a great way to shine a light but a conversation that should continue every yeah. other 51 weeks of the year. Absolutely. So Blackfella Book Club is a great social media handle to follow it's on instagram we'll put the handle in the show notes if you're ever kind of curious about some you know great tips of um awesome reads from teela and melinda then check it out it's awesome following now thank you for that um what are you banging on about well i was going to bang on about renovating um (laughs) but i thought can you just can you just say the first thing that you said to me when you walked in today was you held up your arm and you just got the classic like stripe of paint down the forearm i was and then i thought oh this is back to this is harking back to the paddle steamers bang on (laughs) when i said that was a good thing um as opposed to a book or a film or a telly show but i've been renovating my own kitchen it's something I've, i've decided to do during lockdown and um as part of that, I've been able to listen to audiobooks and really spend the time because quite often you don't have like it's not like a podcast you can pick up. So I've been listening to a lot of books from particularly feisty, strong women, um, and this one is from Pandora Sykes, who you might know. I'm not sure if you listen to the High Low, which is another excellent podcast. No. Two English women, Pandora Sykes and Dolly Alderton. I really like them. They they do it's similar to what Bang On does. Um, it's probably a little bit more on the literary tip. So they talk about high culture, low culture, the, the meeting of the two and, you know, same sort of thing. But Pandora's written a book called How Do We Know We're Doing It Right? And it's basically dealing with a whole lot of stuff that we've discussed here on Bang On, fast fast fashion, millennial burnout, all of that, that whole wellness movement, just, just lots of her insights into that. And some of her conclusions are really interesting and quite thoughtful and I really enjoyed it. So it, if you want to hear from more smart, thoughtful women from the other side of the pond, uh, this one's a good one. Awesome. I find that with audiobooks, I can't just sit, unlike a book, I can't just sit on a couch and listen. I have to oh, be no. doing something else. Yeah, you've got to Otherwise be Otherwise I just totally else. drift off and then There's I'm like, no oh, I've just Imagine just sitting, I mean, you, when you read a book, you're reading a book. Sitting on but a couch if you're just sitting there listening psycho. going, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, someone's staring. <laughs> COVID lockdown's really got to Zan. She's just sitting and staring off into space. <laughs> It just means that I've got a really clean house, though, when I'm when I'm yeah. listening to audiobooks. Yeah. You're, like, renovating. Yeah. You're going to start building things next, aren't you? Oh, I'm so into it. I can't, <laughs> like, speak, like, learning new things. That's been my my thing. You know, you get to a point where you don't try new things because you're scared and I've never done anything handy and now I'm handy AF and I'm loving it. So I go good. to Bunnings and I know what I'm talking about and I'm, it's mostly painting, let's be honest. It's not that great. But I'm so proud of myself and it's not a great job but I'm proud of myself for doing it and being able to, I don't know, achieve something Looks like pretty good that. to me, the photos you show me. It's fucking you awesome. You know I love a before and after. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> if I do say so myself. So Even though it's good. not, don't look up too close. <laughs> All right, well, back to it. Go back to the paint rolls. I will, can't wait. Yeah, I'll see you next week. Yeah, see ya.
Hang on. Can I tell you that Vivian got out this week too, my dog? Oh, no. She's mad. She's got Beagle in her, which is hound, and once they escape, they're escape artists. And I've currently got people landscaping my my backyard and um, there was a little tiny slither in the fence where she somehow managed to get out and I wasn't across it. So she got out, gone for an hour, me wandering the streets crying. <laughs> And then an hour later, I decide to check the back lane again. And here she is. She's returned. But she's got in her mouth and I can see her rubbing the side where they put perfume on. And by perfume, I mean absolute stink. (laughs) Rubbing the side of it. And she's got like a bag, plastic bag that's obviously full of someone else's dog poo and she was flapping it around and I just, I was like, oh, this is hard. How do do people have children? (laughs) Anyone who's got children, I admire you so much, so much.